Turn your Bible again to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We continue uh, our study from this morning looking at God's gold medal winners. What does it mean to be the greatest? How do we become the greatest? Can we? Is there such a thing? The greatest in the kingdom. So Mark chapter number 10 We'll read verses 35 through 45, if you will, please. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus saith unto him, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they uh, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We continue our look at what the Lord is dealing with in this particular passage. We begin this morning, point number one, we noted that the problems of greatness, the problems of greatness, and the problem of greatness is that of pride. May we sit one on the right and one on the left. Uh, They were, again, not opposed to Jesus being uh, at the top and being on the top of the podium, but they wanted to make sure that everybody saw that one James and the other John were there with him. Certainly Jesus, it was good for him to be great, but let us come alongside and make sure that people recognize us in the same capacity. We are great because of where we are and who we happen to be with. So, Lord, let us sit in that particular place. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew 22, an interesting passage of Scripture as we continue some thoughts tonight with regards to God's gold medal winners. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
Jesus said in this passage, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with everything and every fiber of your being, everything that's within you, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength, everything within you is to love the Lord. And then the second greatest commandment, and really the Lord is is. Uh, putting all the commandments into really two, to love and to serve God and to love and serve man. The greatest is to love thy neighbor, and he says, as thyself. That's a pretty tall order. When we come to think about greatness, the world around us has even narrowed that down a little further. Today's condensed version, which is not the King James Today's condensed version simply says, love thyself, forget God and the neighbor. Love yourself first and forget God and the neighbor. Uh, Because that's what's the most important is loving of yourself. That matter of greatness, the pride that would follow in that. It'd be nice to say as we think about that and as we give some more thoughts to what we discussed this morning on the problem of greatness, and this matter of pride that can come with the seeking of it, it'd be nice to say that the church has kept at bay the pride of the world. It'd be nice to say that the world, excuse me, the church has not been affected even by it, but in fact, it's not kept it at bay, but in fact, much of modern day Christianity is accepted and adopted that kind of mindset into the world. The religion of self, the cult of self, has found its way into the mainstream church, our society and day in which we live. Houses of religion have given in to the hype and embraced the self, all about you, philosophy. They've only Christianized it and put a Christianized twist upon it and so it's today, it's have church your way. Simply have it the way you like it. Much of what's being written, as we mentioned this morning, if you would do a, a look and do a little bit of look at what's being written out there in, in modern day Christendom, the top ten sellers list and the top books of today in Christianity, at least it's promoted in that. What's being preached and produced in so-called religious authors today are books on how to better you and how God wants you to be pretty, popular, and prestigious. How God wants this for you. It's really about you. Um, And if you follow that again in what's being written, you'll see that that is the case. So much of what is coming out is... That God is literally concerned and almost overwhelmed with concern about his desire for your success. Really what God cares about is is your success, my success. Really what he's overly concerned about is your happiness, your goals, your achievement, and your fulfillment. Many popular churches around us today, even some that I dare say, and I hate to say, but even some that have the Baptist name on the marquee out front, 
have adopted a philosophy that's more interested in catering to what the culture says a church ought to be over what the Bible says a church ought to be. And even though it says Baptist, that does not clear a church from that case uh, because they're all, we use the term stripes, and that may be true, but the fact is that many that once were solid and fundamental in the faith and solid in the truths of God's word and stood on Bible principles uh, have now let those principles go by the way and now no longer stand on those things. And what has become popular so often is the size of the crowd. There is now, it seems to me, is almost an, an accepted artistic license for the church to be and act and do whatever it desires to do. You just take artistic license. You just uh, come up with your own ideas. It doesn't matter what the truth is. You come up with your own ideas of what church ought to be. We got all stripes of churches out there. All flavors and all kinds. And and if you do a little searching, you'll simply very find out very quickly there are a whole lot of things that are quite different than this church. Uh, there are a whole lot of things that would literally blow our minds with what I see churches doing. And it's really all catered and pandering to what the world says a church ought to be. It's nearly come to the point that the highest standard it seems to me in our culture, and it's even moving into our churches, the highest standard to hold is no standard at all. The highest one is to have none. It's now in vogue or in style to have the standard that anything is tolerated except Bible-believing, God-fearing people who hold to some principles. Everything's tolerated. I mean, you have churches that are adopting homosexuals as pastors. What a travesty. You have churches that are saying, it's okay, it's just, that's the way God made us. You have churches that are now inviting, um, I understand one of the largest churches Rick Warren's church out in California, the largest, I don't know if he's still in the Southern Baptist Convention or not. The largest Southern Baptist Convention church is now ordained women preachers, women uh, pastors on their staff. You see, whatever's tolerated, everything's tolerated. The only thing that's not tolerated is those racists, imperialists, legalists, Bible-believing Christians. The only thing can't be tolerated anymore. The sin is no longer taboo. Believing and living and preaching the Bible is. The byproduct of all of this, I believe, as we see around us, the byproduct and what we see, I think, coming forth out of this is a watered-down, weak gospel that the Bible says is no gospel at all. It's taking sin out of it. It's taking repentance out of it. 
It's just a feel-good message in so many cases that produces, it produces religious people but not righteousness. Produces religion but not righteousness. It's big on self but little on sacrifice. Big on feelings but little on faith. The problem with greatness, as we see in this passage, the problem with greatness is our pride. And our pride will keep us from obeying and serving God. Our pride will keep us from that. The problem with greatness is our pride. If we go back to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter number 10. Forgive me, Mark 10 verse 37 through 39. They said unto him, Great, uh, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and another on thy left hand in thy glory. And Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. Grant to us that we may sit on thy right hand and the other on the left hand. Here we see the pride of position. The pride of position. If I can just how get to this position where people see me in this place of position. There's the pride of position out of verse number 37. Let us sit on the right and one on the left. There's the pride of presumption. Again, we read the text. Can you, can you Jesus says, you know not what you ask. Can you drink? Can you be baptized with the same baptism and cup that I am Willing to go through. And they said we can. It's the pride of presumption. We can they said. We can do anything that you can do. They were saying. God we can do anything that you, you can do. Jesus said. You know not what you ask. Pride not only has the tendency. To being arrogant. But pride also. Has ignorance connected with it as well. Jesus said, can you drink of the cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? To drink the cup is to literally ingest the suffering, to take in the suffering. Jesus is talking about the time when he's moving now toward the cross. Are you willing, do you understand, to, can you drink the cup? Ingest all the suffering, to take in all the suffering, to be baptized is to be overwhelmed with the sufferings of Christ. Keep in mind, I remind us that the sufferings that were to come, Jesus had just mentioned out of verses 33 and 34, saying, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. Jesus had just got through telling them what these sufferings were to be. This baptism, this overwhelming, this drinking of the cup, Father, if it's impossible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's talking specifically about the death, the crucifixion, the beatings, and all of these things that would come. 
And he asked them, he says, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Can you do this? And there's the pride of presumption, and they come back to Jesus and say, we can. Pride has connected with it ignorance. Their pride failed them. If we look over to Mark chapter number 14, if you'll look at that passage, their pride, we know in the passage, their pride failed them. And it'll fail all who follow in it. Mark 14, verse number 27. Mark 14, verse number 27. And Jesus said to him, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Are you able to drink the cup and be baptized with the sufferings? We can, they say. And here, just a few days later, within a very short period of time, we find them all scattering when this actually comes to pass. Look at chapter 14, verse number 50. They're in the garden here, and Judas has just kissed our Lord and handed him over, told him, this is the one that I kiss. This is the one, take him, lay hands upon him. Verse number 50, and they all forsook him and fled. Who's the all here? It's the disciples, these 12. We can, James and John being in this number as well. We can do all of this. It's the pride and we see them all fleeing from it. In Mark 14 and 72, the last of the verses in that chapter, Peter And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought upon, thereupon he wept. Lord, surely not you. Lord, it'll not happen to you. Lord, we'll die with you. And here we can. And here we see their pride failed them. Now we do know in the book, according to the book of Acts and others that Certainly, Jesus says there will come a time when you will, in fact, this will take place unto you. You shall indeed drink of the cup and drink of the baptism which with I am baptized with all. Shall you be baptized? Verse number 39. That actually came to pass with regards to many of the disciples. I dare say all of the disciples. James was the first martyr there in the book of Acts in the church of Jerusalem. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Historians, some historians claim that he was boiled in oil. He did not die. and Then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. There he wrote Revelation. Certainly they would all understand, not at this point in time, when they said we can, they did not have any inkling, they did not understand what it was that they were asking from our Lord. But they said we can. It was the pride of Position, the pride of presumption. We see the problem of greatness is that of pride. We mentioned that this morning. Now quickly, on the number two, the promise of greatness, it's sure. The promise of greatness, it is sure. Mark 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, 
or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first, the last first, rather. The promise of greatness, the promise of, when I say greatness here, I, I say, and, and I use that term from the perspective of the greatness of God's reward. The surety of God's reward to those who are faithful. The promise of greatness is sure. God blesses and God cares for and God meets the needs and God does reward those who are faithful. Revelation 22 and 12. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. God's coming with reward. And God will give those rewards according to faithfulness. Look with me to the gospel of Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter Number 6, verses 22 and 23. Mark 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and shall cast cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And notice what he says out of verse number. How could this be? Where does the blessing come in out of all of this? And he says out of verse number 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. He says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. There's the surety, there's the promise of greatness by way of reward. God rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness. Matthew 25 and 23. Well done, thou good and faithful. Here's the word servant that we noted this morning. That word faithful servant, it's that doulos, it's the slave Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. 2 Timothy 4 and 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There's the surety of God's rewards. The greatness of God's reward. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul says, but not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. Understand that God rewards faithfulness. The greatness of God's reward. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. This crown that Paul is speaking of in 2 Timothy 4.8 is the Stephanos crown. It's the, the victor's crown. The crown of victory, that is a great reward. Today, in that day, they would stand on a podium in the Olympics of the day and receive a corruptible crown, one that after a few days it just withers and falls away. You put it in your trophy case and 
and the grandkids came back and, 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 and you found out they were happened to be playing in the trophy case and you look at it and there's nothing but just shreds up of old vine. What did you do with my trophy? You ruined it. Well, there wasn't anything there to begin with. It's a corruptible. The one God gives is an incorruptible crown. The victor's crown. There's the promise of greatness that comes by way of the blessings and the reward of Jesus Christ to his saints. We noted the problem of greatness, which is pride, the promise of greatness, which is sure. And now notice with me the plan of greatness. And let me add, that is humility. The plan of greatness, that is humility. Back with me to Mark chapter number 10. We noted these things this morning, but I just bring them back to your attention. Verse number 43 of Mark 10. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. That word minister literally is where we get our word deacon from. It's the table waiter. It's the one that's serving others. He's to be that servant, that table waiter. That's the greatest one, the one that's to be great. And then he ups it up a little bit, not a little bit, a whole lot out of verse number 43. And so shall it not be among you, men you, excuse me, 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, the greatest, shall be servant of all. That here again is the idea of a slave, a slave. Greatness comes through humility. The plan of greatness, humility. Greatness comes through humility. Philip Brooks, a preacher of the 1800s, said, There is a wonder. God is on high, and yet the higher a man lifts up himself, the farther he is from God. And the lower a man humbles himself, the nearer he is to God. Good words. 1 Peter 5 and 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, the problem with our pride is we want to sit on the right and we want to sit on the left uh, now. We'd like to just go ahead and just move into the position and have the popularity and the prestige and have it all now. Without any of the, the suffering, without any of the trials, without anything that Jesus would call us to do. In due time, in God's time, God will exalt those who will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Come up under God's plan. Come up under God's authority. Come up under God's word. To be that minister, to be that slave, the one that serves others. The exalting is, in this passage out of 1 Peter 5 and 6, the exalting is in direct relation to the humbling. The exalting from Christ is in direct relation to the humbling. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you. And so the humbling becomes before the exaltation. Because if there's no humbling, God cannot exalt God will not exalt. But when that comes, when the humbling comes, when the humility comes, the recognition that God is who he says he is and we are who we are, whether we like it or not, 
who is man that thou art mindful of him. Someone said the best way to see divine light is to put out your own candle. You ever have a little candle in a cave? Oh, it helps a little bit, but it may not get you out of the cave. It's that light that you see way off in the distance that helps you get out of that mess. But like many, we like to shine our own candle. We want other people to see our own candle. Put out our own candle. Let God work and live through us. James 4.10 again. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. He shall lift you up. We see the plan of greatness is that of humility. We see the pattern of greatness. Lastly, the pattern of greatness, that's Jesus. Verse 45 of Mark 10. I don't know how many times we've read this verse. But I've never gotten tired of reading it because... There's so much in here. The pattern of greatness. Where do we go to find greatness? Do we go to Washington, D.C.? Do we go to Wall Street? Do we go to the popularity of the world? Look at the pattern here. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The pattern of greatness is found here. In this passage, in verse number 45, even for even the Son of Man came. Jesus here is literally pointing to himself as the pattern. He's, he's saying, fellas, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm the pattern. For even the Son of Man, he's the pattern. The very words, the Son of Man... 81 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's his, it's his, it's his favorite title or his favorite designation that he gives to himself. Why? Because it is complete identification with us. The Son of Man. Complete identification with us. The supreme example of humility and of servanthood. Where are we going to find it? Out there? No, right here. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of Man identifying with us. Completely and fully identifying. The Son of Man. He says that the Son of Man in verse number, for even the Son of Man came. He came. Listen to Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Here's the humbling, and we see the exaltation that God the Father gives to His Son because of God the Son's humbling of Himself and taking upon the form of a servant and made Himself of no reputation. He was God. He could have clung to that. The angels worshipped Him. He could have clung to that, but He did not do so. But He came. He willingly submitted Himself. The pattern of humility. 
took upon the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of man. Well, that'd be one thing, wouldn't it? Just come from God, the creator, to man, the created. Well, that's a far leap. But then he goes the next step. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Dr. Wingett used to say, even a cross kind of death. It just wasn't a death that normal man would go through, that that you live 70, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, and you pass away due to old age. No, it was a cross kind of death. They killed him. But understand it was voluntary. No man took his life from him, but he gave it. He laid it down. Because of that humbling of himself, wherefore, because of this, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, we see in this humbling, we see the exaltation. It came in complete relation to his willingness to humble himself. I hope, I think we get and grasp the significance of this. How far Christ condescended to meet our need. How far he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It ought to render us. It ought to cause us to be compelled to live for him, to serve him. The love of God constrains us, Paul said. The son of man, he identifies with us. He came from heaven to earth. He as king has the right to be served, but he came to serve others. He came to minister. He came to minister. Go with me to John chapter 13. He came to minister. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. The Son of Man, he came. And how did he come? Why did he come? He came to minister. To who? To us. He came to minister to our need. John 13 verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world into the Father. Having loved his own which are in the world he loved them even unto the end. Wow, what a... <laughs> oh, I just, just, just get a hold of that for a minute. He loved them even to the end. He loved me and he loved you all the way to the end. While he was taking on our sins, the sins of the world, he maybe could have thought, well, I really don't love them much anymore. I really don't love them because of their sin, because of all I'm going through. I really don't care a whole lot for them at this moment. But he loved them all the way until the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having put now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, 
knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saying, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? It was the job of the servant. It was the job of the slave. Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Here Jesus, of course, is speaking of the the shed blood of Calvary. The washing away of sins. You'll have no part. Jesus humbled himself. And he took that towel and he girded himself to wash the feet of his disciples. Verse number 12. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye not... Or excuse me, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Here we see the pattern of humility. Jesus is the picture. He's the pattern that we are to follow. He came, the Son of Man, complete identification. He came from heaven to this earth. He came to minister, not just to wash our feet, but to wash away our sins. He came, if we go back to our text, our key text out of Mark, verse number 45 again. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister. And notice the phrase, and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life. Greater love hath no man than this. To give his life. For what? For what purpose? To be a ransom. To be that ransom for me and for you. Only two times this this particular word here is used. And it's used in the parallel passage from Matthew's gospel. This particular word of ransom. He paid the redemption price for you and for me. That's the ransom. That's why he came. The pattern of humility He came to pay the ransom price. Jesus brought us back from the slavery house of sin. He satisfied the holy, righteous justice of God in our place. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We see the problem of greatness is pride. The promise of greatness is sure. Jesus rewards the faithful. The plan of greatness is humility. And the pattern of greatness is Jesus Christ himself. What a savior we serve. 
What a Savior we have. What a Savior that we have the privilege to follow. To take up His cross and follow Him. That we might be like Him. That we might be used by Him. Not so that we would be seen of men. But so that God would be known by men. And come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. Sure changes my whole concept of greatness. When I consider it biblically. When I consider what I've always thought about it as. And when I consider what God says about it. And I consider what Christ did to exemplify it before us. Do you know Him today as your Savior? Do you know Him? Are we surrendered to Him? Let's put aside our pettiness, our pride, our positions, our assumptions. Let's simply follow Christ. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. Let's look to Him as our pattern tonight. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.